Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be here. Hey, listen, uh, nobody said anything. It's good to be here. Crickets. I'm glad you're here. Uh, hey, listen, uh, we are uh, heading at tonight. We're actually going to be tearing out this pretty carpet. Come on. We're going to need your help. So we're going to post. Some of you are wondering, like, what the heck's going on if you weren't here last week? We've been talking about this big redo that we're going to do, five projects. I can't wait until uh, someone comes up here and gives announcements and tells you, if you're new with us, go to the coffee stand here in our church and get a free coffee. Right? We're going to do that. I can't wait. Uh, so we're going to tear this carpet out tonight. We have, we got a good handful of people coming tonight. And listen, if you are free tonight at 6 p.m., you can walk around the halls, and we've already cut a bunch of the carpet uh, that, that all is going to be rolled up in little teeny rolls, and we just want you to shoulder it. You see the big dumpsters out in the parking lot? Some of you are wondering what is going on. We're going to clean out this carpet, and then we're going to paint this room, and then we're going to put new carpet in. It's going to be fun, right? Now, you know as well as I do that the plan is it'll happen just like it's supposed to, right? Come on. We're, we're working on stuff. So uh, we got contractors and bids and all that stuff to paint yet. I just want to give an invitation that if you're here and you're a contractor and you know how to do stuff, come see me, right? I had one of the gals in our church, Beth, last week, who's a structural engineer. She came in, talked to us about uh, what, what it would look like to, whatever. I'm just saying, like, you're here and you got stuff. I believe God's going to provide for us. So electricians, plumbers, painters, whatever you got, come see me because uh, we could give you a job or we could, whatever we can do to help you and you can help us and we all win in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, it's going to be fun. So 6 o'clock tonight, uh, you don't need to text anything. Last week I realized that in our service I had you all texting a certain number and only eight of you seemed to text, but there was a lot more of you who text. And some of you actually inadvertently signed up for a, car, a carpet company to send you advertisements. So uh, sorry about that. Uh, we, we were not... <laughs> You typed in carpet demo, and it was supposed to be one word, but your, your phones automatically separated it, and then you got advertisement. Sorry about that. Uh, so uh, we'll do it differently next time. So here's what I'd like you to do. Come tonight at 6 p.m. and uh, bring, on, bring some gloves and, and some dirty clothes, because this carpet's been here for a minute, right? And I'll tell you this, picking up this carpet has been around. There's some people who's, uh, whose lives have been transformed on this carpet, Come on. There's people who are different today. And, and, you know, we're rolling up this carpet. I can almost cry. There are tears that have been shed on this carpet. There are transformed. I don't want it to be some flippant, trite, yanking carpet out because it's ugly. I want to be a moment of like, man, we, we're preparing the next generation of people and their tears. <laughs> come on. All right? So come. Tonight at 6, and, and we'll bring water for you and all that, but if we need masks, we'll give you masks, but, but bring gloves and come and be ready to work. The more, the merrier. You know what that's like, right? Come on. Come on. It'd be great to have you here. It'd be a lot of fun. This phone here of mine, you, most of you have phones. Uh, I was talking to a gal just yesterday, and you know, I was talking to her. She's, she's in her 50s, and we were talking about the busy signal that we used to get when we were at home, right? If you're in your 50s, you know what I'm talking about. If you're under 50, you're wondering, what is a busy signal? All right, come on. Here's the funny thing about phones. Uh, these things, every now and again, they get a little buggy on you. And you have to do what's called a soft reset. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between a soft reset and a hard reset. Right? A soft reset is, is just pushing a couple of buttons, standing on one leg, and squinting your eyes, and you'll make your phone do a reset, right? Uh, it, that, that happens. Now, a, reset, a soft reset simply just kind of resets the programs, the applications, it shuts all the stuff, but it saves all of your data. 
A hard reset literally wipes the hard drive and brings it back to its factory settings, right? Let me put it to you this way. When you surrendered your life to Jesus, you got a new operating system and you got, you got, you had a hard reset, right? Throughout the course of your journeying with Christ, every now and then we need to, well, shut down a few apps, clean up some buggy stuff. Some of us actually need a soft reset. I want to talk to you today about getting a soft reset in your life. Come to the place where you literally, you don't need a new operating system. You don't need to get resaved. You don't need to do all the things that need to be done. But really, I want to talk to you about the normal Christian life. What does it mean to literally get your life back on track? So will you join me this morning as we pray? God, thank you for an opportunity to to spend time with you. I pray that we would hear your voice. We need you a bunch in Jesus' name. Period. Amen. Hey, hey, by the way, I want to tell you, we're going to receive our offering for our building remodel at the end of service. Now, now I, I wrestled with this morning what I would preach. I finished up a series last week, and we're going to start a series on family next week. It's going to be a great time. It's a six-week series on family. I can't wait. But, but you know, you wonder, uh, what's a good topic to preach on when you're getting ready to go into raising money to remodel a building? So the the the... the man in me, the, the, the get it done, do it right, make it happen. I wanted to talk about fundraising today. Awesome. But that'd be terrible, right? And, and I just thought, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to manipulate people. But what I want to do is this, is we're going to receive an offering at the end of service for this remodel. And some of you are going to commit to so much per month. And some of you are going to commit a certain amount right up front. We're going to do that at the end of service. So be praying about that. But, but I also want to tell you this, my heart's desire and by the way, it's kind of funny. I, I did some research on fundraising in churches just because I wanted to be ready. They, they call it a capital campaign. Here's what I found out. They say the two, uh, the two things you must never do in raising money for a church remodel is this. One, never do it in the month of May. <laughs> two, never do it near Mother's Day. Next week's Mother's Day, Right? And I'm like, okay, so we got strike two against us. But here's what the Lord really whispered to me. He said, man, this is the most generous church you've ever been a part of. And you watch God show up. So I'm going to watch God show up, contrary to what those guys who do that for a living do. And I'm going to watch us raise money and do this job and be done with it. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Peter. Book of 1 Peter. I love the book of 1 Peter. As I've been spending time talking about the normal Christian life. First Peter is one of those books that really, really force us back to our roots. First Peter was actually written to Christians. First Peter wasn't a, it was, wasn't, it's not an evangelistic uh, epistle. First Peter is not one of those you need to get saved, you could go to hell if you don't. It's none of that. It literally is about the deeper Christian life. If you want to grow deeper in Christ, if you want to figure out how to journey this course, spend some time in 1 Peter. It'll tear you up. He literally says, listen, I want to show you how to walk out this thing. Interestingly enough, as Peter wrote this epistle to people, what we find is is that he's talking to a bunch of people who kind of lost their way. 
I mean, at this point, Jesus had died, and he'd been raised from the dead, and he had been resurrected, and he'd gone to heaven, and so now life is moving on, and now the church people had kind of lost their way a little bit. And so Peter comes to write this letter to these people, and he tries to tell them, I want to help you get back to mission, get back to what you were supposed to do, get back to what you were created for, understand what your mission is. I asked my little sister if I could share this. Uh, the other day I was talking to her, Melody, many of you know Melody. I was talking to her, and, I, and we were talking about mission. And, and I was telling her, you know, every company on the planet has a mission. You know, Alaska Airlines has a, has a mission. Their mission is to fly you from here to there, right? You know what Alaska Airlines is terrible at? They're terrible at making office furniture, right? Let me tell you this, uh, McDonald's. McDonald's does a pretty good job at French fries, and they could probably bring on a hamburger, all right. But let me tell you what they're terrible at. McDonald's is a horrible steakhouse. Come on. Geico, right? Insurance. You know how it's all that, whatever it takes to sign up for Geico and you save so much money, right? You can do that. Let me tell you what Geico is terrible at. They're terrible at teaching you how to skydive. They're super good at what they do. So I talked to my little sister. She works for a law firm, but she also works for, on the side, the YMCA, Right? And I told her, I said, Melody, I was trying to tell her what mission was. And I said, I said interestingly enough, I, I, I said, you know what I hate about the Y? She said, what's that? I said, I said, when I go into the YMCA, I hate the fact that I walk in the, and scan my card and they never offer me a slice of pizza or a donut. Ever. Makes me mad. And she's like, what are you talking about, man? I said, no, listen, I want to go to the Y and get a slice of pizza and a donut. I can never find it there. What is the deal? So she says... Lance, that's not the purpose of the YMCA, smart guy. I said, isn't it funny how we come to church looking for something other than it was created for? Let me tell you what the purpose of this church is. The big church, not, not, the, not the Puget Sound Foursquare, but the big church, the big C church, the church global. Do you know what the purpose of the church is? The purpose of the church that you belong to, that I belong to, the purpose of the church is this. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Say that with me. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right? You and my brothers and sisters are saints in Christ. If you know Jesus, you're a saint. Contrary to your Catholic brothers and sisters, what they would think. Saints in Christ. Right? Our job is to equip you to live life out. Can I tell you what the church's purpose is not? My job is not to feed you. I don't know if you know that or not, but you realize that my job is not to feed you. My job is to equip you, to teach you how to feed, how to eat, how to journey this course. And sometimes we we superimpose our expectations and say, I go to this church because I'm well-fed there. I go to that church because they bring the food. I go to that church because, they, in fact, it's interesting because in the Bible it says to crave the, 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 the things of the, the meat of the word of God. But then also it says crave pure spiritual milk. There's this desire. There's something about it, right? But the purpose of church is to equip you. So I want to spend a little bit of time today in our remaining moments equipping you. Can we do that? I want to equip you with what Peter is talking to a group of people who kind of veered off course and forgot their mission. First Peter. First Peter. I love this. First of all, Peter writes this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All honor to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
For it is by His boundless mercy that He's given us the privilege of being born again. Now we live with the wonderful expectation that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Stop. Peter writes that there's a boundless privilege of being born again. Let me tell you the people who Peter was writing to. Early on, it says up in the verses, uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Paul writes to them and it says, As foreigners in the lands of Pontius, uh, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithynia. Paul writes to these people and calls them foreigners. Paul's writing to church people and he says, I write to you foreigners to not forget how great Jesus is. Why does Peter refer to them as foreigners? He refers to them as foreigners because a lot of them were no longer living in Jerusalem. They had been, well, pushed out. Let me explain. What was going on at that time was in Rome, there was a, there was a bad dude named Nero. Nero was the guy, you maybe have heard the phrase, uh, Rome, uh, while Rome burned, Nero fiddled. Right? In other words, Rome was in flames. Nero was this guy who, was, who had such a lust for building. Nero wanted to build his empire. Nero, and what happened with Rome was it was becoming so filled with people that Nero literally wanted to make more room to build more stuff. So instead of him walking up and saying, I'll buy your house, he just figured what I'll do is take your house. So Nero literally had people light the city on fire and burned up a whole bunch of the city so he could have room to build his empire. Crazy enough, as Nero was, he wasn't all that dumb. He actually convinced all of the people of Rome that it was the Christians that started the fire. It was the Christians that burned up their homes. It was the Christians that killed their brother. It was the Christians that murdered their whatever because they lit the city on fire. And the crazy thing is, is that Nero actually used the Christians' language against them. See, Nero knew that the Christians said, one day this world will end in flames. When Christians were talking about the end of the world. He literally said, see, look at them. So people started to persecute Christians like crazy. They started to burn them at the stake. They started to dump pitch over the top of them, tie them to trees, light them on fire. Nero literally would watch them burn. He said he would light his garden at night with the fire of the burning Christians. They would take Christians and put them in hot oil and burn them and boil them. It was terrible. They would put them on a rack, put tie their hands and their feet, and then pull them slowly apart until their bodies ripped in half. These Christians were so hated because Nero convinced all of Rome that it was the Christians that wanted to burn the city up. In fact, Peter, the writer of this particular epistle, says this, that we know in history, historians tell us that Peter actually was forced to watch his wife be crucified. And right after this, he was crucified. And while his wife was being crucified, Peter yelled, don't forget Jesus. What a painful thing. And Peter turns around and he writes this right here. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to this. With that in mind, Peter writes this. All honor to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For his boundless, it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. God has given us the privilege of being born again. Let that sink in for a minute. Imagine the persecution. Imagine the craziness that's going on. Peter refers to these people as foreigners because they were so, they were running for their lives. And he says, consider it a joy, literally the boundless privilege of being called to this moment. 
See, I think sometimes we forget this whole Christianity thing is not really about how good it turns out for us at any given moment. I think some of us need a soft reset to be reminded of what our mission really is. That our mission is to be live life to the glory of God and Him alone. Not to the glory of me, not to the, 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 the only of me, not to whatever of me. I think too many of us spend time saying, well, God's mad at me. As a result of God being mad at me, He's not providing for me, or He's allowing sickness, or this horrible thing is going on. Can I tell you this? That's not how God is. But we somehow equate that God, God must be mad at me because He's allowing all the terrible to happen. If you want to believe that, you, you're, I think you're far off, but read your Bible and you'll see that too many godly, amazing, spiritually mature humans were tortured because of their belief. Hmm. What if being a follower of Christ had nothing to do with how much we get out of the deal? What if being a follower of Christ has nothing to do with how much we get out of the deal? Chapter 1, verse 7 goes on to say this. These trials are only here to test your faith and to show you that it is strong and pure. By the way, the word test there can also be used as the word prove. These trials are only here to prove your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire purifies gold. As, uh, and your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials... It will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the world. Uh, Peter is no dummy in using the illustration of fire to show exactly what these trials are like. He literally says, let me remind you of the normal Christian life. Too many were feeling like God must have abandoned us. God must have left us. God clearly is mad at us. And Peter literally writes this epistle to say, Hang on a second. Now, Peter is literally the leader of the, of the apostles. He's the one in every area that there's a description of the apostles. He's the first name. Literally, he's the leader here. This is the same Peter who denied Christ. This is the same Peter who had this, this relationship with God restored after it was uh, kind of shaky there for a minute. This is Peter who says, enough is enough. Life is hard. Don't forget Jesus. Now, Peter writes this and he says, listen, let's get back Let's get back to the basics. Now he begins to tell them about this normal Christian life here in verse 13. Here's what he says. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus. Obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil, for you didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you to be his children is holy. For he himself said, you must be holy because I am holy. So what does this normal Christian life look like? What is this normal walk with God supposed to look like? If we're going to do a soft reset on our lives, what is the normal version of walking with Jesus supposed to look like? I love the answer to that question. And number one is this. First of all, he says to walk out Jesus today. He says, listen, the normal Christian life includes that you think clearly and exercise self-control. Think clearly and exercise self-control. I love this. First Peter says in the first part, so think clearly and exercise self-control. I love it. The English translation, I don't think it does it, does it justice. Think clearly, exercise self-control. It says it, but, but really I like the original Greek when it describes it this way. It literally says this, 
gird up the thoughts of your mind. Gird up. We don't say that very well. Gird up your loins. Gird up the loins of your mind, literally is what it says. Uh, What does that mean? Well, well, back in the first century, when they would uh, be in a hurry to do something, they would, what's called, gird up their loins. Now remember, most of them wore robes back then, right? They had what was called an ephod underneath, basically shorts. But they had a robe on, and what they would do with the robe, when they wanted to, because you can't, ladies, you can't run in a dress, right? These are full-length dresses that these brothers were wearing. So in order to run, what they would do is they would gird up their loins. They would reach down, and they would grab the inside of their dress, their robe, and they would pull it up, wad it up into a ball, and throw it over their shoulders, so that they could gird the loins, right? Basically look like a big diaper, right? Then they could run. Then they would take off running because they girded their loins. That's funny. No one's laughing, right? Gird their loins, right? It just sounds so funny. But literally, I love this because Peter's using this illustration because he knows that no one girds their loins for fun. They only gird their loins for, I got to get out of here or I got to get somewhere fast. <clears throat> they decide that they got to go somewhere quickly. They need to prepare their life for this. I love this because Peter says this, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, are you ready for action in your brain? He says the normal Christian life is a person who, uh, who bunches up the loose ends of their thoughts so that they can move. Let me say that again. The normal Christian life is someone who takes control of the loose ends of their mind so it doesn't trip them when they run. The normal Christian life is supposed to be one that intentionally captures the loose ends of their thinking so that they can move out. I think we need to learn how to gird up the loins of our mind because too many of us get stuck and get lost in our thinking. We get trapped. We get slowed down. But we, we find ourselves in all sorts of... Let me tell you, that there's no way to slow you down faster than in your brain. You start thinking of all the I shouldas and wouldas and couldas and how comes this... All of the things that slow your, your journey. Paul writes later on in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he, what did he say? He says, be transformed into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Listen, too often we allow our thoughts to take us captive. Right? Paul went on to say, if you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts are going to take you captive. The normal Christian life is one of taking captive the loose ends of our thoughts. You know, the ones that say you'll never, you'll always, you're worthless, you're bad, you'll never be enough, you'll always be behind. Everyone else knows the secret handshake but you. Girding up the loins of your mind takes all of those loose ends and says, get away from me. I know the truth of what the Bible says about me. When was the last time you took control of your thoughts? When was the last time you took control and girded up the loins of your mind? And by the way, the the idea of girding up the loins of your skirt, dress, whatever you got, like was because you were going to go somewhere. Can he, this is Christians, as Christians, that God wants us to go somewhere. He wants us to get something done and to move on. Gird up the loins of your mind. Number two, the normal Christian life. It says, look backwards, not forwards. First Peter 1.13. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Christ. 
Look forward, not backwards. This is, a, I love this. There's a word here to look forward. It's the Greek word teleos. Everyone say teleos. Teleos is a great book. A friend of mine wrote a book called The Teleos Man. Larry Titus did. It, I love this. Uh, teleos is a word that simply means to completely set your hope in the future. That's what teleos means. It means to completely set your hope in the future. Translation, stop looking backwards. Because some of us are setting our hope in the past. Some of us are setting our hope because of the good old days. Some of us are setting our hope because of the bad old days. And we allow that to affect the trajectory of our life. Literally, he says, listen, if we're going to live the normal Christian life, we need to live it with a teleos in mind. The forward thinking. Literally, teleos means to set into the future so that it can be moved into motion in that direction. Instead of looking backwards. Uh, that, that means the mistake you've made. That, that means the, the, the pain you've incurred. That means the trials you've walked in. That means all the stains on the shirt of your life. And you're dealing with it. Literally, teleos means to set it forward in motion the truth. The normal Christian life is a forward life. It's a moving, it's a moving in that direction life. Peter's saying to the people who are dealing with suffering, who are dealing with trials, who are being burned at the stake and boiled in hot oil, and, and, and literally on the rack being torn apart, he's saying, set your hope in the future. Don't forget there is a heaven. Don't forget that Jesus will return. Stop living today for today. Amen. See, I think the normal Christian life for so many of us is, is still lived with, but it's not fair. God, if you really loved me, this wouldn't happen. Lord, if I, if I didn't incur this, if I didn't step in this pit, I wouldn't have all these trials. I want to tell you, the teleos thinker says, listen, Jesus, I know that things are, have happened to me. I know I've made choices I wish they could change, but you are good, and I know there's a hope for my future. And we live with a hope ahead. Number three, to live the normal Christian life, obey God completely. 1 Peter 1.14, obey God because you're his children. I love this. Jody Jennison last week, I was sitting right over here, and I remember many of you got to watch her get baptized. I love this because she said this. She started talking about this, and I asked her a question. I said, Jody, you've been in our church for 11 years or so. Why now? Why would you want to get baptized now? I loved what she said. Her three little babies, her, her kids sitting right in front of the front row, looking right into her eyes. And she says, Lance, you know why I wanted to get baptized today? I said, why? She said, because partial obedience is actually disobedience. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I knew I was supposed to get baptized. I knew I was supposed to a long time ago. I knew that I needed to do it for my, my life. I needed to do it for people watching me. I needed to do it so my kids could see me, that I'm different on the inside, and I wanted to get baptized. But I kept on feeling like, like all of you would feel, like it's embarrassing, I should have done this a long time ago, why didn't I do it? And she said, Lance, I've lived with partial obedience long enough. When our kids were little, I remember, I remember feeling so proud as a dad. I remember Jansen, actually, I think he was three. And, and I remember uh, he'd be across the room. And I was a proud dad, right? Polly and I figured that if we could teach them to obey when we got to three, that was awesome. Jansen, one, two, three, and then three, you know, he'd straighten up. And so I remember one time we were at church, and I looked across the room, and he was climbing up on the chair, and I said, hey, just held up my fingers, didn't say a word, right? At three, he hopped off the chair. And I was like, I got this thing down. Got it figured out. 
went home and had my little devotional time with all of my humility. And I was like, Jesus, that was awesome. He goes, Lance, it's cute that you can get your kid to obey at three. I want you to obey at one. I was like, yeah, but. He said, Lance, I'm not asking you to obey at three. I'm asking you to obey at one. Teach him how to do it at one. Because partial obedience is not obedience at all. Too many of us get that way, right? We hear Pastor Dave come up here and talk about offerings and tithes and saying, are we going to really trust God with our finances? And we have this moment, right? Some of us are like, yeah, that's good for you, Dave. That's good for you, Heather, but it's not so good for me. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. That's just your idea. It's your ability to try to make yourself feel good. He said, no, man, full obedience, right? Whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Here's my, my, my question for you. What's the last thing God asked you to do? What was the last thing he asked you to do? Was it to forgive that person? Was it to uh, remain in that job? Was it to ask for forgiveness? Well, what was the thing he asked you to do last? Because he's not going to give you the next thing until you finish the last thing. Oh, you could make it happen. You could try to force the issue. But let me ask you this, any of you who have any spiritual aptitude, when was the last time God told you not to do something, you forced it, how'd that work for you? Right? Dr. Phil would agree. Doesn't work so well, right? You find yourself creating a big, fat mess. Number four, the normal Christian life. Don't slip back into the old way of doing things. Don't slip back. I love this. Jeremy Wysong, a friend of mine from church, some of you know Jeremy, went to his house yesterday because they were celebrating him losing 100 pounds. So proud of him. I was like, dude, how'd that happen? What'd you do? And he's just like, it's just one step at a time, just doing the next right thing, just doing all the things, right? And I'm like, man, I gotta get back on that wagon. I just gotta choose, he says, not to slip back into my old ways. Some of us need to make a decision to not slip back into our old ways. And then finally, Peter leaves off with this one last little thing for us to keep in mind. He leaves off with this one last little commandment and tells us that the normal Christian life is one that is to be lived holy. He says, if you forget everything else, know this. Be holy in everything that you do. Literally, be holy in everything you do. The word holy is to be set apart. To, to be holy is to literally have a life lived completely for Jesus. We've been talking about this. That life as a Christian isn't to be lived as a, uh, as a set of rules and regulations. Literally, to live Christ as holy is to say, I want to live like you, Jesus. I want to remain faithful like you, Jesus. I want to carry my cross like you, Jesus. I want to sacrifice my life like you, Jesus. I want to serve like nobody's business, Jesus. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Be, be set apart. It doesn't mean to, be, to pull yourself away. Jesus never pulled himself away. Jesus thrust himself into lives of people who didn't know any better. To be holy just means to, 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 to flee from youthful lusts to flee from those things, to be set apart. In fact, another passage of Scripture says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let me help you with the translation of that. He says, be holy. Literally, it's, a, it's the, a verb in the present active form that means this. It means to always be in the process of continually trying to be holy with everything that you do to the best of your ability. Always be in the process of trying 
I think some of us have realized in our hearts, well, I've blown it here, I've blown it there, I've disqualified myself, so eh, I guess it's as good as I get. Can I tell you, that's what Peter's talking to. He's talking to us, and he's saying, you need to choose to be holy in all that you do, and all that you watch on TV, and all that you look at on your phone, and all that you relate with with people around you, and all the jokes you tell, and the ones that you laugh at. Be holy in all that you do. How do you do that? Forever? That seems pretty daunting. Here's the easiest way to deal with that. Here's how I deal with, with, with uh, temptations in my life. I say this to myself. Okay, uh, I just need to be holy for the, rest of, uh, for the rest of today. Because if I think I have to be holy for the rest of my life, I think I'll quit. But, but I can do my best to be holy for uh, six more hours, maybe eight more hours, maybe 10 more hours. Then after that, you know about 10 more hours what I'm gonna do? I'm going to go to sleep. I'm just going to go to sleep. I only have to be holy for about 10 more hours. How about you? Can you be faithful to Jesus for the next 10 hours? Maybe the next 12 hours? How long are you going to stay up tonight? But just how can you decide to be holy in all that you do just for the next few hours? Then just decide tomorrow to throw it all away and just go nuts. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, the workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. How long? For the rest of today. Then go to bed. And then let God lead you into tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. Because what did he say? Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Take the pressure off. The devil wants to put pressure on you. The devil wants to take this message and make it seem like something it's not and try to get you stirred up into some sort of crazy thinking like, Lance, I can't live by any of those five, let alone one of those. You don't have to. Just do your best. And then go to bed. Amen. The normal Christian life. We forgot that the normal Christian life wasn't one that's just uh, roses and candy candy canes. It's more than that. The Christian life is a life to be lived, to be served, to be given. The normal Christian life is, is, is about pouring it out, not taking it in. I got a pastor that I know of who wrote a great book. I've not read it. I don't know if I will. It's called, never mind. I can tell you, I, I, it frustrates me when I think that people can just somehow just declare to God what he's supposed to do to you and make you this and do that, and he's supposed to just serve you. I mean, come on. The normal Christian life is us literally laying our lives down and saying, I serve you because you are Lord, I am not. When do we, we get off track that the normal Christian life isn't about how great it is for us? There's a great book out there called The Normal Christian Worker written by a guy named Watchman Nee. If you want to get something that will absolutely tear your insides out, read that. Brother Lawrence, I think he wrote that. Andrew Murray, I'm not sure. It's one of those guys. Literally, it's a book that just will, will get you. From any of those guys, read any of their stuff. And realize that Christianity that we're making today is so crazy. So I want to pray this morning. Can we do that? Jesus, this morning we come before you. God, there are people here today who have never surrendered their life to Christ. Or there are people who have seen and heard and listened to message after message and conversation after conversation and still find themselves wondering, 
Do I qualify? God, today, if they're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never really said, Jesus, I want to give you all of me, it's high time. This morning, just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I give you all that I am. Take all of my sin and give me all of your beauty. I'll serve you with all of my life. Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've not been walking with him. Like Peter wrote to these people, you want to get back on track, back to the mission God has called you to. Then say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to do it your way. It's so much better your way. Forgive me, Jesus. I surrender again all of my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.